legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Uh, Remember, if you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear them. Today's is actually inspired by one such question. If you have an idea for us, you can send it to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. That's our email. Or of course, you can message us on social. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBook Nerds. But today we are going to be offering up some dystopian reads. Joining me are two of my favorite people, Emma and Jill are here, and the co-hosts are going to answer the question of, I haven't read any dystopian titles before, I've been trying to get into it or I want to try to get into it, do you have any recommendations of where I could get started? So first, Emma and Jill, hi. Hello, welcome. Hello. Hello. To get into the episode, I wanted to start by calling out uh, some of the longstanding dystopian titles. Some you may not have heard of, some you may. They've been around for forever or just the last few years. Uh, But of course, as I shouted out, our retro right now, the Hunger Games trilogy by Suzanne Collins. Then of course, it's compatriots that followed around the same time. We've got Ready Player One, Ready Player Two, the Divergent series, the Maze Runner series, uh, the Legend series. That's kind of the like YA adult canon. Um, then more on the past end, we've got 1984, The Handmaid's Tale, Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, The Road, A Clockwork Orange, most of Anne Rand's books, if not all of Anne Rand's books. Yeah, that's that's kind of the the basis, this the baseline structure to start off of. But since most of those are incredibly popular, have adaptations, um, I wanted to throw those out up at the top before we get into some of our picks. So uh, a dystopia is an imagined state or society in which there is great suffering or injustice, typically one that is totalitarian or post-apocalyptic. So sometimes there's a plague, an environmental disaster, a new regime. Ah, With that laid out, some questions for both of you. What comes to mind when you hear dystopia, dystopian title? I think for me, it's about, like you said, you mentioned like the post-apocalyptic about suffering. I think of it like, the idea of a dystopian to me is that this world has been created where the institutions want you to believe it is a utopia on the surface. And then underneath, if you actually dig down, it is the complete opposite. So I don't, you know, like one of mine on the list is definitely not post-apocalyptic. Like it looks very pretty on the outside, 
um, because they have put these systems in place to make you think that this is what you want, but then it's not. Or I also think of the like, they've completely abandoned their previous way of life for a new flashier way to survive. Emma, any thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it it's the first thing that comes to mind for me is definitely that sense that they've adopted a system or they've made changes to society that is seemingly for the better, for the greater good, or, you know, we were solving some problem that we had in the past. And this is why we have this grand new system, ceremony, celebration, whatever type of thing that they have in place. And like Jill said, it's usually a little bit more sinister than meets the eye, or there's more to that system than you first thought. Now, do you, do either of you have anything you love about the genre and hate about the genre? I don't know that I hate anything about the genre per se, but I do think there was a time where it was perhaps oversaturated in the YA space. And I'm thinking particularly during the Hunger Games divergent. So like the 2010s, that time period from that like 2010 to 2015 kind of range where, and we'll get into some of uh, those picks but you really saw that a lot in, I think, particularly the young adult space. Oversaturation was probably the biggest gripe. And Hunger Games came out right away. Everyone loved that. And then it was, here, let's take this book series that I wrote over a winter break and turn it into, that's Divergent, if y'all didn't know. Uh, and and let's make that the next thing. Um, and even Maze Runner, which was a series for a while, but they quickly adapted that to kind of you know throw in that yeah it was it was definitely too much but that also they didn't finish the adaptations because the timing with which the trend really took off papered off by the time they were coming out with the fourth fifth movie of these different series so like they never finished divergent something was weird about the the television the film adaptation and i i am blanking at what that was but like and then they or they you know, started to adapt Maze Runner, but they didn't do the full. But those were hugely popular. Mm-hmm. But then, then the trend. But it's died still off. right. It still wasn't enough to sustain the trend, and then you know, trends shift. And well, that's what I was going to say. Is I wonder how much of it the like the medium of the message, like people would just responded better to books than to the movies, you know, and so that yeah. might have been why they didn't finish and why nobody was really liking them in the same way for sure yeah so they did not finish divergent okay they i think it was meant to be a two-parter and then we never got oh part two ascendant part two that That makes sense and they moved it budget got cut from part one i think and then they were going to move it to a tv movie and then it just never so that series in, in film technically never got finished uh, to match with the book series. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and then do you have a favorite book or series to come out of this 
genre trend resurgence. We'll, I'll give all of those possible ways to think of the period. I I do not have this on my list. I feel like this is like very much a guilty pleasure for me, but I loved the Matched series by Ali Condi. <laughs> it is. I've like read that series multiple times. <laughs> I <laughs> hey and it and it fits with the period because it does fit with the period yeah like match came out in 2010 yeah um I just I I love those books so much <laughs> they are not the best of the genre I would not say necessarily but I I love them and I again I've read them multiple times oh I love this I I will now be reading these thank you very well, much Joe. no and I I yeah so two of uh, the series I want to call out are from that early 2000s, like 2012 peak dystopian YA series. And one of them is the Selection series by Kira Cass. This to me is like peak representative of the time. The covers stand out to me so distinctly, like these girls in gorgeous ball gowns. You're like, what could possibly be a mess about this setup? But for those of you that are unfamiliar with the selection series, <laughs> I'm, I'll give you a little bit of a description, but it says for 35 girls, the selection is the chance of a lifetime. It's the opportunity to escape the life laid out for them since birth. You're swept up in a world of glittering gowns and priceless jewels to live in a palace and compete for the heart of gorgeous Prince Maxon. So again, similar, we're already seeing similar <laughs> vibes here of. Uh, but um, for America Singer, being selected is a nightmare. It means turning her back on her secret love with Aspen, who is a cast below her, leaving her home to enter a fierce competition for a crown she doesn't want, living in a palace that is constantly threatened by violent rebel attacks. Then America meets Prince Maxon. Gradually, she starts to question all the plans she's made for herself and realizes that the life she's always dreamed of may not compare to a future she never imagined. Staple tropes here in this YA dystopian genre, but I do think that this was peak for me, the selection series uh, by Kira Cass. Not necessarily in dystopian, but we see in certain fantasy books that we still see, like you have a, a teen heroine who's 19, 18, or even 20, and then you have other characters who are fantastical and they're 500 years old. And so some of right. those things don't necessarily hold up but again you kind of suspend your disbelief that a bunch of 16 year olds are competing for this prince and they're ready to be married immediately so i i also think it's one of those things where there's this weird thing that doesn't really get talked about with these books which is the religious undertones like we talked about it with twilight i mean that's not dystopian but we talked about it with twilight i believe with stephanie meyer being mormon um the author of the matched series is mormon i believe the selection was partly based on the book of esther from the bible with the competition so to speak of yeah so like i i mean i don't think like i don't think it was like based on based on the book of esther is not entirely true but like there, that was part of the inspiration, I believe, for this idea of like competing for marriage with 
the prince needing to get married because his family says so kind of thing and like it's it's just an interesting observation yeah and I yes I did find an interview where Kierkegaard says it's mainly based on Esther from the Bible and Cinderella so it's definitely interesting to see those similarities across different books in the genre Mm -hmm. yep well right even like looking at the handmaid's tale which i know i shouted out at the at the top that's you know like not even undertones that's just like heavily um religion forward because that is the you know impact of the society that they have reformed in yeah the like theocracy idea of uh yeah mm-hmm All right. I guess we should dive in and give y'all some titles. Uh, So I'll start us off. I wanted to start with a quick read. This is a novella, nice and short. If you are just diving into the dystopian genre, it's a fun, dark, dazzling debut that reads like Rosemary's Baby by way of Octavia E. Butler. This is Flowers for the Sea by Zin E. Rocklin. So basically, we've got our environmental disaster here right off the jump. These are survivors from a flooded kingdom. Uh, They are struggling alone on an ark. Hmm, Wow, an ark in a flood right off the bat. The religion really does hop out. Uh, Resources are scant and ravenous beasts circle. Their fangs are sharp. Among the refugees is Iraxi ostracized, despised, and a commoner who refused a prince. She's pregnant with a child that might be more than human. Her fate may be darker and more powerful than she can imagine. So it's a very short description for a very short book. It's a lush Gothic fantasy about the prices we pay and the vengeance we seek. So that is Flowers for the Sea by Zen E. Rocklin. It's kind of pulls all those components in one little bite. My uh, first one is The Bells by Donnell Clayton. Um, So this is about Camelia Beauregard. She is a bell. She lives in the opulent world of Orleans where bells are revered for they control beauty and beauty is a commodity coveted above all else. In Orleans, the people are born gray. They are born damned and only with the help of a bell and her talents can they trans- can they transform and be made beautiful. But for Camila, it's not enough. She doesn't want to just be a bell. She wants to be the favorite. This is the bell that's chosen by the Queen of Orleans to live in the royal palace and to tend to the royal family in their court and sort of be recognized as the most talented bell in all of the land. But once Camila and her bell sisters arrive at court, it becomes clear that being the favorite is not everything she always dreamed it would be. Behind the gilded palace walls live dark secrets, and Camilla soon learns that the very essence of her existence is a lie, that her powers are far greater and could be more dangerous than she ever imagined. And when the queen asks Camilla to risk her own life to help the ailing princess by using bell powers in unintended ways, Camilla now faces an impossible decision. With the future of Orleans and its people at stake, Camilla must decide, save herself and her sisters in the way of the bells, or resuscitate the princess, risk her own life, and change the ways of her world forever. Um, I this this book is fantastic. It's it is part of a series, um, and it's just lush and uh, like this decadent world of the bells. But then once you kind of get in deeper with Camila, you're like, oh, things are weird and not really. <laughs> Maybe not like gilded, like this gilded cage idea of of it. It looks pretty on the outside, but maybe isn't 
when you get in deep. So I talked a little bit about the selection series already, but another one from the same time period that I want to recommend is the Red Queen series by Victoria Aviard. So this is from that same time, about 2015, I think. And an interesting premise, the world is divided by blood. You have red blood or silver blood. So the reds are commoners ruled by a silver elite in possession of godlike superpowers. And to Mayor Barrow, a 17-year-old red girl from the poverty-stricken stilts, it seems like nothing will ever change. That is until she finds herself working in the Silver Palace. Here, surrounded by the people she hates the most, Mayor discovers that despite her red blood, she possesses a deadly power of her own, one that threatens to destroy the balance of power. Dun, dun. Uh, fearful of Mare's potential, the Silvers hide her in plain view, declaring her a long-lost Silver Princess, now engaged to a Silver Prince. Despite knowing that one misstep would mean her death, Mare works silently to help the Red Guard, a militant resistance group, and bring down the Silver Regime. But this is a world of betrayal and lies, and Mare has entered a dangerous dance. Reds against Silvers, Prince against Prince, and Mare against her own heart. So this is an interesting premise for sure, like taking it down to the color of your blood in a weird yeah. new realm. Um, and this series, I think it's four books plus a novella. They're adapting it still, I believe, for television. I'm not positive. They're allegedly. adapting it for something, allegedly. <laughs> and... Yeah, I just think it's it's an interesting series. And again, it captures that sort of YA dystopian moment of the 2010s or whatever. And I know that this is a, a fan favorite among people that read a lot of these books at the time. And I am a big fan of Victoria Aviard. She's got new series since that are not at all related to <laughs> this world, but also good though when you have an author that you like that you can hop into other series of theirs yes and she also has a really fun presence on tiktok and other social media platforms she's also been really candid about the process that she's gone through in getting her books published writing her books publishing in general so on and so forth so i enjoy all things victoria aviard so definitely check out the Red Queen series. Love that. I also love that this definitely, like, it definitely exemplifies both of your last picks that these might have been categorized purely under fantasy or under like different genres, but that there is truly that through line of dystopian society, like that there is so much more. It's such a broader spectrum than maybe we identify. So I started off with a short pick, and now I'm going to just go the complete opposite direction. So this is a huge book, um, and it's two huge books. This is The Wanderers by Chuck Wendig. And then, of course, if you enjoy these characters, uh, and there is a second book called Wayward. And you can hear my interview with Chuck about Wayward uh, from back in November. So Basically, this follows a family group, Shayna. She wakes up one morning to discover her little sister in the grip of a strange malady. She appears to be sleepwalking. She cannot talk. She cannot be woken up. 
and she is heading with inexorable determination to a destination that only she knows. But Shayna and her sister are not alone. Soon they are joined by a flock of sleepwalkers from across America on the same mysterious journey. And like Shayna, there are other shepherds who follow the flock to protect their friends and family on the long dark road ahead. For as the sleepwalking phenomenon awakens terror and violence in America, the real danger may not be the epidemic, but the fear of it. With society collapsing all around them and an ultra-violent militia threatening to exterminate them, the fate of sleepwalkers depends on, the, on unraveling the mystery behind the epidemic, the terrifying secret that will either tear the nation apart or bring the survivors together to remake a shattered world. So this is along the veins of some mysterious contagion happens, changes the face of the planet, basically. And so in this first book, you see the journey as they're trying to figure out why these people are asleep. And then in Wayward, it picks up, I believe it's five years after the book. Um, and you can learn why... Uh, Chuck decided to do that in my interview with him. So that is Wanderers and Wayward by Chuck Wendig. Chronic migraine is 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. Botox, onabotulinum toxin A, prevents headaches in adults with chronic migraine. It's not for adults with migraine with 14 or fewer headache days a month. It prevents, on average, eight to nine headache days a month versus six to seven for placebo. Prescription Botox is injected by your doctor. Effects of Botox may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness can be signs of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Side effects may include allergic reactions, neck and injection site pain, fatigue, and headache. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Don't receive Botox if there's a skin infection. Tell your doctor your medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome, and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Ask your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com or call 1-800-44-BOTOX to learn more. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. My next one is definitely one of those like classic ones, uh, which is The Giver by Lois Lowry. Um, it's from 1993, which is bananas to me, which means it's like 30 years old. Okay. <laughs> um, but for those who have not read The Giver, I had to read it in school. So I'm sure many of you did. But for those who have not gotten the chance. Um, so this is about Jonas. Jonas lives in a community where everything is idyllic. Designated birth mothers produce new children who are then assigned to appropriate family units. Citizens are assigned their partners and their jobs. No one thinks to ask questions. Everyone obeys. Everyone is the same except Jonas. Um, so when the kids reach a certain age, they go and receive their life assignment, which um, yeah is assigned to them by the community that they live in. And Jonas learns that his life assignment is the receiver of memory, which is a position that uh, is not given very often ever. 
Um, and he is assigned to work with the giver of memory who spends time sharing the memories of the world with Jonas. And as these sessions continue, Jonas starts to realize what is sort of wrong about his world and that it's much larger. And there are a lot of things that are not true that he has been told. One of the interesting things about this book, so I read it shortly after it came out in 1993, that rough time period the ending is somewhat ambiguous and it is part of a quartet there are four books but the next one didn't come out until like seven years later so the ending of the giver your interpretation of it depends a lot i think on if you knew there was a sequel or not (laughs) i've seen this happen on twitter where people talk about the end of the giver and those of us, like I, I had a very specific idea of how that book ended because I thought that was like that was it. There was no other book. It's ambiguous. I'm a pessimist, and like that's just my interpretation of the book. Um, but it is a quartet, and I read the whole quartet. I did it a couple of years ago, and they're all really good. They're very different, but Jonas is sort of a character throughout. Um, but yeah. So if you have not, if you have not read the rest, you may have only read The Giver, but there are three other books that you can read to continue the story. So glad you included The Giver on your list. Um, I didn't ever have to read it in school, so I actually haven't read The Giver, but it is on, as I talked about last year, I'm like working my way through some of the oldest titles on my TBR. So the, the this one's about, about to come up. <laughs> on things I need to read uh, to catch up. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. And such a jump to go from 1993 to 2000 before, you know, part two happens. Um, and then for it to not really be connected or just kind of be loosely connected anyway is is fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's a loosely connected. And when you get to the fourth book, they kind of all tie together. Like if you understand like mm. how they are how they sort of fit together but it's not necessarily yeah entirely clear um as you're reading each one Lois Lowry reminds me so much of school we definitely read The Giver in school but I did not know there were any additional books and I think it's interesting that that never came up in our study of it I don't remember which grade we read it in but it was definitely elementary school yeah, I was in, I think I was in middle school when we read it, like seventh grade, maybe sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely has different meaning if you know there's more or not. My next pick is also from the same time period because I'm nothing if not consistent. It's the Delirium Trilogy by Lauren Oliver. She writes a lot of young adult books. One of my favorites is not dystopian, but it's Before I Fall, which you may be familiar with, but she also has the Delirium series. So in the Delirium series, it's an alternate United States where love has been declared a dangerous disease. So certainly an interesting take where the government forces everyone who reaches 18 to have a procedure called the cure. Uh, Living with her aunt and uncle and cousins in Portland, Maine, Lena Holloway is very much looking forward to being cured and living a safe and predictable life. She watched love destroy her mother and isn't about to make the same mistake. But 
With 95 days left until her treatment, Lena meets Alex. And here we go. He's a boy from the wilds who lives under the government's radar. What will happen if they do the unthinkable and fall in love? So that is the Delirium Trilogy by Lauren Oliver. Certainly an interesting concept. Love is the disease that you need to be cured of in order for society to function without issue. All right. My next picks is from 2017. This is Want by Cindy Pon. Set in a near future Taipei plagued by pollution, a group of teens risk everything to save their city. So Jason Zhu survives in a divided society where the elite use their wealth to buy longer lives. The rich wear special suits protecting them from the pollution and viruses that plague the city, while those without suffer illness and early deaths. Frustrated by his city's corruption and still grieving the loss of his mother who died as a result of it, Zhu is determined to change things no matter the cost. With the help of his friends, he infiltrates the lives of wealth of the wealthy in hopes of destroying the international Jin Corporation from within. Jin Corp not only manufactures the special suits the rich rely on, but they also may be manufacturing the pollution that makes them necessary. Yet the deeper Zhu delves into this new world of excess and wealth, the more muddled his plans become. Against his better judgment, he finds himself falling for Dayu, the daughter of Jin Corp CEO. Can Zhu save his city without compromising who he is or destroying his own art? So if you fall in love with Want, you can also continue the journey with book two, Ruse. So that is Want by Cindy Pond. Uh, my next one is The Gracier by Kim Liggett. This came out in 2019. So it's actually one of those fairly newer ones, not of the time period we've all been discussing when so many came out. Um, so in Gardner County, girls are told they have the power to lure grown men from their beds to drive women mad with jealousy. They believe their very skin emits powerful aphrodisiac, the potent essence of youth of a girl on the edge of womanhood. That's why they're banished for their 16th year to release their magic into the wild so they can return purified and ready for marriage. But not all of them will make it home alive. 16-year-old Tyranny dreams of a better life, a society that doesn't pit friend against friend or woman against woman. But as her own gracier draws near, she quickly realizes that she's not just the brutal elements they must fear. It's not even the poachers in the woods, men who are waiting for a chance to grab one of the girls in order to make a fortune on the black market. Their greatest threat may very well be each other. I loved this book so much. Um, And yeah, so these girls, when they turn 16, they're like sent to this island to like work out whatever girl 16-year-old issues they have. Um, And... I think it speaks a lot to like body autonomy and how girls are treated. I will say I have not read it since it since around the time it came out. I don't necessarily know how well it would hold up if we're looking at it from like biological essentialism type situation. So that's one place where I feel like I should reread it just for that entire purpose. Do you know what I mean? So just as a fair warning for anyone, I I don't remember how that gets handled if it's good or bad but um it's it's very much like uh lord of the flies with 
teenage girls and what happens. My next pick is also a newer one. So more contemporary and it's Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. But this came out in 2020, fall of 2020. So this follows Amanda and Clay. They head out to a remote corner of Long Island expecting a vacation, a nice reprieve from life in New York City, quality time with their teenage son and daughter, and a taste of the good life in a luxurious home that they've rented for the week. But a late night knock on the door breaks the spell. Ruth and GH are an older couple. It's their house and they've arrived in an absolute panic. They bring the news that a sudden blackout has swept the city, but in this this rural area with the TV and internet now down and no cell phone service, it's hard to know what to believe. Should Amanda and Clay trust this couple and vice versa? What happened back in New York? Is the vacation home isolated from civilization a truly safe place for their families? And are they safe from one another? So a little bit different of a premise, but still in that same vein of a little bit like apocalyptic, dystopian, what's happening? What's the larger scheme here that you don't really get to know much about, obviously, up front? So that was Leave the World Behind. So for my last pick, I'm going to throw it way back there. I am wrapping up with a 2006 classic YA series, Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. Now, even if you haven't read these books, you saw them. They were on every shelf, both bookstore, library, multiple copies. You were going to see Uglies and you did not understand what was going on unless you picked them up and read them. But this is a four book series that follows our characters through a dystopian world. Tally is about to turn 16 and she can't wait. In just a few weeks, she'll have the operation that will turn her from a repellent ugly into a stunningly attractive pretty. And as a pretty, she'll be catapulted into a high-tech paradise where her only job is to have fun. But Tally's new friend Shay isn't sure she wants to become a pretty. When Shay runs away, Tally learns about a whole new side of the pretty world, and it isn't very pretty. The authorities offer Tally a choice, find her friend and turn her in, or never turn pretty at all. Tally's choice will change her world forever. Also wanted to shout that there is an adaptation of this coming to Netflix this year, starring Joey King as Tally. So... I did not know that that was getting adapted. Interesting. I didn't either. Yeah. That is a classic though. Like it it is like this is what I think of when I think of the original YA dystopian series. That said, this didn't turn into anything. This didn't turn into anything until now. Like we're seeing an adaptation. Yeah in in 2020 yeah like in in this range now compared to when all of that was happening with the hunger games and divergent they didn't necessarily go back and look at a ton of old source material they just said let's pull the new stuff yeah that's wild wild so if i'm i'm very interested in revisiting this series because it's been a very long time since i read any of these uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't throw this out there. So if you love some YA nonsense as much as I do, 
check out Ugly's Scott Westerfeld. Four books, cute little moment. Well, mine also is a um, book that is, I believe, in the works of getting adapted. Of course, they've been saying that for years. So who knows? But um, (laughs) this is Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood. It is the first in her Mad Adam trilogy. When people ask me my favorite Margaret Atwood book, it's always this one, hands down, no questions asked. Um, And is published in, yeah, 2004. So again, it's like a 20 year between this and getting adapted. So this is told in two timelines. Um, We open with Snowman, who that's a nickname that has been given to him. Um, And he is, as far as he knows, the last of mankind after a plague swept through and killed everyone. It was a man-made plague that his best friend, Crake, created. Um, And we get the story of where snowman is now um as he's trying to survive but also as part of crake's creation of the plague he created a new type of human um essentially who have been left behind in a um controlled dome essentially and so snowman goes and takes care of them and feeds them and checks on them. They're known as the children of Crake. Um, so there's that storyline of Snowman in the present. But then we also get the story of Jimmy, who grows up to be Snowman, and sort of Jimmy meeting his friend Crake and the creation of this, uh, what is the plague? And like so many of Margaret Atwood's speculative fiction books, it's set in that sort of near future um, but what's interesting about this one, because it was first published 20 years ago, like in that way with The Handmaid's Tale, we were like, oh, this stuff is happening now. There are things that when she first wrote this and it was first published, um, seemed you're like, that could maybe happen someday. Like, I could see that. And we're there. We're there. We're we're in that time period where there are definitely things like every once in a while, I'll see something that'd be like, oh, my God, I read about that in the book. <laughs> I think, I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things Margaret does really well. And she talks, I mean, if you read interviews with her, she's just like, I just look at what's out there. I look at as what is happening in other countries, right? Like everything about The Handmaid's Tale has been happening to women outside of like America. Like that's not new. She just sort of brought it to America for the book. Um, She looks at what is happening and just sort of takes it a few steps further into what it could be and uh yeah so this is a trilogy i've read the other two um but orcs and craig is just it's it's a phenomenal book and i love it so much allegedly it's being adapted by hbo i i love the nonsense of saying the word allegedly that's We're not yeah this is one of the i feel like this is one of those trilogies that's been in like developmental hell for years Right. The last thing I could find any info on it was March of 2021. So yeah, we know that the TV and film world moves pretty slow, but we also know that a lot of projects just die on the on the table, basically. So correct, correct. The other the other thing I had like a moment of just 
a, just a flash when you said they were left behind. I then all of a sudden remembered that entire Left Behind series from like 1996. Oh, yeah. Which technically falls in. You know what? The genre. It would. That, that, I mean, the, the log line is, um, a novel of the earth's last days. So. That would also fun fact. When I worked at the prison, that was like hands down the most popular book series. They loved the left really? behind series. Oh yeah. And the, they loved it so much that, um, the, the last book in that series I had a copy at the library. I believe the um, chaplain in the chapel also had a copy of the last book. And that thing would would go missing often. Like that was because they would, yeah, they loved that series so much. Wow. I mean, according to the cover of the book, over 15 million sold in the series. I believe it. I believe it. it. I, I remember it being popular for a minute. You're right, though. That is, yeah, that probably would fall under a dystopian. I think that falls into the like apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic dystopian world we've been discussing. But that wraps up our dive into some dystopian reads to get you started. All I hope you enjoyed our conversation, our discussion of the genre as a whole, but also some great different places to dive in. You can kind of look at any of these different reviews or descriptions and find what pieces you like best about Dystopian. So for our listener friend, Tammy, who requested this episode, hopefully you find something that kind of fits. Do you like more that fantasy romance dystopian? Do you like more that action adventure, that sci-fi you'll find something uh, amidst all of these different titles. And if you're still listening and have a topic you'd like us to talk about, you can send it in to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. That is our email. We'd love to hear from you. And you just might see it turn into an episode. Well, Emma, Jill, thank you both so much for joining me today and sharing some of your dystopian faves. Yay, dystopia! Thank you all so much for joining us today. And as always, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 